Hello, podcast listeners. This is Michael Saramella with a special edition of The Drop. If you want to get this past week's surf news, you can go back one episode. Buck and I just handled that. But for now, we're going to chat with the 2023 Male Stab Surfer of the Year winner, Nathan Florence. If you're wondering how he won that award, uh, he got voted by 45 of the most influential surfers in the world and you, our Stab Premium audience, who actually helped push Nathan to the win. He was trailing behind Felipe Toledo and Ethan Ewing going into the final day and our Stab Premium members shoved him to the top. I think you guys made the right call. He's very clearly the surfer of the year. After that wave in Ireland, all the travels he did, all the tubes, overcoming injuries and yeah, I mean... You just can't take away what Nate did in 2023. So we're going to have him on right now to talk about that year and everything that went into it and all the backstories, all the financials, all the injuries, all the scariest moments, the best moments, the worst moments, and everything in between. And sorry in advance for the audio quality. I know it's not great. This wasn't originally meant to be a podcast, but when you get Nate talking this freely, you kind of just don't have an option but to run it raw. So we're going to do just that and let's drop in. Hey, bro. Hey, Nate. How you doing? Congrats. Good. Thank you, man. How are you feeling? Fuck, I feel pretty good. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> what have you been up to? Um, just surfing a bunch and dealing with these weird winds we got. Like, I swear, um, everyone claimed their big El Nino claims, and I think it could just mean that it's just going to be big storms all winter. Oh, yeah, I guess there hasn't really been, California's had some good waves, but you guys haven't really had that, like, or no, you had a big swell early season, right? That was pretty good? That was pretty good. And yeah, that's what I've seen, too. Like, California's had a lot more uh, quality swells than we have. I wonder if it's going to be, like, it's El Nino, but there's just different places that are going off. And, like, it doesn't mean Hawaii, maybe, is going to be giant, clean swells like it was that everyone compares that one year to mm. because like right now dude we have these west winds and it's been west winds like three or four times already this winter which is already like rare we probably only get it three or four times in the whole season and this whole next week is west winds like eight days of it wow does that which open is like up the some... most rare wind we get does that open up some kind of cool different spots though yeah i paddled out the back door with melodine last night i was like <laughs> it looks crazy do you want to surf like i think he had been looking around and i didn't there was just no one surfing i was like this guy will probably be psyched and then he's like oh, he's like fuck i just seen a sick one let's go try it we paddled out and it was like 10 foot back door with the gnarliest biggest ramps ever but just impossible to get there for him <laughs> i just got worked around no actually almost did a big alley-oop but he broke his board and went in uh but it actually changes the game for like guys that are um regular foot trying errors on rights we just don't have fucking wind into the right so it's you see like everyone start hunting down waves that they can do errors on when the west winds come because it's the only time anyone can practice airs on rights so we're gonna get ramp tour 2024 back to air camp <laughs> air camp back resurgence i swear air camp might be more damaging to the body than fucking slab tour <laughs> yeah so talk to me about that um how many 
countries did you visit this year? I think it came down to 14. 14. And did you just have that? 14 countries. Did you just have that one injury or did you have a couple? Uh, I had a few. I'm, well, actually, well, yeah, no, it was January. I broke my back at Jaws, so I guess that's the start of the year. But to me, that kind of felt like the culmination of 2022. Like, I just had pushed hard that year, too, without any injury. And so, I don't know, it almost felt like I had it, like, coming. And then it happened at Jaws, first big swell at Jaws. I broke my back. And I was like, fuck, like, straight into Hawaii winter. I then, like, right away missed the shootout and the eddy within two weeks of breaking my back. And I was just devastated. But almost like maybe what I needed because I had been on such a bender, I was pretty burnt out. And so I just sat at home and trained for six weeks. And by seven weeks, I was surfing again after the broken back because it was just really clean. I just compression fracture of the T12. So uh, no displacement of my disc, no pressure on my spine or nerves, nothing. Just the bone crunched and broke a little bit. And so I healed really fast, um, surfing again by seven weeks. But by then it was um, like February 15th or so. And all of February, if you remember last year, was terrible. Like it just, there just wasn't a single good swell, I think, all February. So then Hawaii season ends and March is around and kind of creeping around and like, all right time to go and by this time i'm like i hadn't surfed for seven weeks then i didn't surf any quality waves i was like so fired up to go on the road and i'd had this um basically this blueprint of what i'd learned on 2022 of chasing all those swells and i just knew i was like dude i could almost double what i did last year uh based off what i learned how many new spots I know forecast for, how many new friends I met in different places, new zones I want to go to that I didn't even get to hit last year. And so I had that kind of goal in my mind and just wanting to push at the slabs harder, which is in 2022, I had hit a few of them, but I'd also done like fun stints in Indo, like the Lance's right stuff was like, I don't know. I don't consider that. It was like a big roll in, you know, like just funner stuff. Um, but 2023 this year, I wanted to do a lot for real shallow water, real heavy stuff and just push myself there. And I wanted to like, in a way, like promote the slabs and what's happening at the slabs more than anything. I wanted people to like, see like there's this side of surfing that almost is like, it gets promoted, but at the same time, it almost doesn't because over the last 10 years, like some of the gnarliest waves ever have been ridden at these slabs, but they weren't promoted the same as like a crazy jog ride or crazy nasbray scene. And I was like, dude, there's literally 9% of the surfers at those other spots fear at some of these shallow water waves. And then there's guys that are sending these shallow water waves like that are 
so you have to be so technically efficient and so smart with your choices to last long. Like I was like, this is like feels to me like the pinnacle of like what heavy water surf is. It's not about the height of the wave, but how shallow, how technical the barrel and drop is and how much water is in the lip of the wave, how big the barrel is. And I just wanted to like push that um, for myself and my own goals and obviously like push the limit in it, but also for like other slab guys to get recognition uh, when they catch the ride of their life or, you know, so it like, so it creates a hype around what guys are doing at these shallow water waves moving forward into the future. And so that's, that's how it was kind of the goal going into that. And 2023 turned into what it was, which is just, dude, it was, once I realized like, if you're real tuned into the forecast, you pretty much it's on you. You can score every single day somewhere in the world. If you're willing to get on the plane and spend the money, you will score like every other day at least. And I didn't do it every other day, but I was like on maybe a once a week, once every two week program for like 12 months. That was fucking gnarly. So how did you come, like, it sounds like you started this sort of idea in 2022 of like really, truly hunting waves and being on the road for like long stints of the year. Yeah. And did that kind of prove to you that it made sense financially? Because ultimately, like, you're a business and you need to make sure that yeah. this makes sense for you. So like, did you just kind of figure that out in 22 and realize that you could push it harder in 23? Mm-hmm. And it, and it was super expensive. And so my program is totally different, right? Like, I'm on the YouTube program, um, which consistency makes sense. And I don't have, like, a big film budget. So guys are out there filming for these long form projects over two to three years and they convince their brands to give them some big budget or small budgets. I'm sure guys some get pretty shit budget sometimes, but most of the time the brands for whatever reason have an easier time giving a budget for a film than they do for something like I do. Like a lot of times in the beginning, I called, hey, I'm going on a trip tomorrow night. Can I get paid for it for this thing? I'll, like, give you access to all this crazy content. I know we're going to score. And they're like, oh, no, two last minute. No way. We're not part of this. And so I, I stopped asking completely. And I said, you know what? Fine, then. I'll use up my entire salary on these trips. It's going to come back around with the YouTube content. I'll capture great content. I'll put it out there. It'll be great hype. It'll be money. What, what money well spent is what I was convincing myself. And if it comes back around and bigger deals and bigger contracts and more eyes on me and more benefit to the sponsors, but I didn't have a content budget at all. I had no film budget. I paid out of my own pocket just based off the salary I was getting um, for all of these trips, every single one. Wow. And so for it to make sense financially, um, I had to fucking be sure I was going to score and I had to go hard on the YouTube, right? Because the YouTube is its own ecosystem and I needed to make, I needed to make sure all the numbers were making sense on that side. And then I was at the same time providing a good, um, investment for myself back into myself so that I could turn around and tell the brands like, Literally in 2022, I had over a billion interactions on my YouTube channel alone. Wow. And I was just like, 
dude, numbers like these, like, <laughs> it's just, it's next level when you start throwing that around. So when you say making it make sense, though, like, so there's two, from what I understand, there's kind of two avenues here. So you can make money from YouTube directly from people, a certain amount of view counts. And then you're saying that because you're able to then capture that audience, you are more valuable to a brand, right? So is most of that money coming back through YouTube or just getting better deals and more deals? Well, so YouTube's not going to cover that kind of cost at all. Um, People might think like, oh man, you're just like, it's paying for itself. But no, like you're literally paying to break it down in like cost form. Your flight, your filmer's flight, all of their food, um, accommodation and rental cars. And so you're basically playing, paying for two people to fly around the world. Plus a salary non-stop. for that, right? But that's what I'm saying. Plus on top of that, a salary for them. And so YouTube is not covering that. So then you're tapping into your, what you're getting paid. Right. And sometimes a lot of guys are, I'm sure have much larger savings than I do. Uh, because my savings goes all into what I do is just getting on a plane last second. I don't have time to book flights when they're cheap months in advance. I'm probably booking them when they're most expensive. And so I say it makes sense because to me it was worth it, all the money and work I put into it. But a financial advisor would probably be scratching their head. Well, yeah, my bank accounts, because it because at the end, like it's almost like what's the long play? Like right now you can get better contracts because of all this work you've done. Like you've made yourself such a valuable asset to brands. But that value starts to recede the less you travel and the less of your own money you spend. So it's almost like how do you like where's where's the cash out at the end? Yeah, it's a good question. And it's something to think about. You hope that you can build yourself a big enough platform and squirrel enough savings away that you have money coming in from external sources of surf industry, right? So something like a property, but those things get harder and harder the more you spend on the road. So it's a constant... um, whatever they call a hamster wheel pretty much. But, <laughs> but also though, I like, feel like, I feel like if you go hard enough for those five to 10 years, then it, the payoff will be worth what you put in. Agreed. And I think at that point too, you reach a point where you're almost like too big to fail. Like you look at J-O-B, right? Like now he has so many different streams of revenue with all of his merch and stuff like that, that he's kind of gotten to a point where he is his own engine. You know what I mean? And I feel like you're a hundred percent. You get to that where your audience is large enough that you can, if shit hits the fan, you can have enough eyes on you that you can sell something, uh, make your own brand or some other, some, a supplement. It doesn't even need to be like, guys do merch, guys do supplements, guys sell fucking keychains. Like, if you have a big enough audience, you can kind of sell anything if it gets to a point where your sponsors aren't working with you, you know? And so that's why the YouTube is so crazy with athletes such as myself and how valuable it actually is. It's not just like the amount of people that are your sponsor sees watching you, but it's also some security for yourself. You know, you've built this community and they are supporting you. 
they're not supporting the platform that sometimes posts you. And so sort of like that certain guys that say maybe rely on like you stab or a surf line for their shout outs. When it comes down to it, I don't know. They don't have control over that. Like, obviously, we work together sometimes with some of these features and promotions, right? And it's a mutual benefit. But at the end of the day, I have my following that supports me and my channels that I can fall back on. And a lot of guys lose focus of that and just say, oh, whatever. I don't, I don't care about it. I'll just hope to get a shout out on one of these bigger platforms at some point. Yeah. But I think content nowadays, the way it is, you really want to have a good grasp on your own following and your own content and your own brand because you know, when shit gets sticky, which is like what we're seeing this year with a lot of guys getting dropped and budgets cut and, and all of a sudden you don't have that to fall back on, it's going to be tough as an athlete. So how long do you think you can keep up this sort of pace and this sort of level with what you're doing? Like one from a, you know, just like weariness, like travel standpoint and two from just surfing this dangerous level of wave this often. Yeah, it's a good question. I, I thought about that a lot this year. Um, it, the, the way it starts to feel is like you, you're starting to use up your cat lives <laughs> you rolled the dice too many times and eventually it's going to come up a losing hand. Like it's really is not a matter of if it's when like your, your good luck roll can only last so long. And that mentally gets so fucking taxing with each new swell you chase. It gets so much more pressure. Um, thinking about like, ah, oh, I don't know. It builds up. And then I was just thinking about it the other day. It's like, the more you chase, the better you get in big, heavy waves of consequence, the scarier it gets because you're no longer looking to just go out and maybe get one or just go out and shoulder hop one or I'll just go out and check it out. Like when you, when you get to a certain level, it feels like I can't go out without going on the gnarliest one that comes in because that's what's going to like make me not disappointed in myself as far as like pushing your own levels and you want to be like, that's the hardest thing to cope with is like not doing what you set out to do in a session. At least for me, I don't want to feel like I didn't give it everything. And I will, something came that I could have gone on. Like I, I just like to put it all out there, but that feeling of like, fuck, it's not like I can just go out on this day and, and go on a small one while everyone else is charging. But I got to go out and I got to catch the best wave of the session because that's just how my brain works right now. And so it gets scarier and scarier because you feel like I have to go on the gnarliest wave that comes in today. And it's just this compounding effect I got on the nervous system. I think it is maintainable if your decision-making is right. Obviously, at some point, injury is going to come up. There's just no getting around it. You just hope it's not a career ender. Um, but I do think there is a way to to start to balance it with um, what waves you go on and how hard you push at certain times and knowing when you're on and when you're off. And I really felt that change this year, like from being so consistently on every swell, I had a sharpness during the sessions that I hadn't had um, 
in previous times, like just the amount of practice and I was getting because I was chasing so much and surfing so much. Like usually it's like three or four big heavy water sessions in a year. But all of a sudden when it gets up to like six, seven, eight, you just feel the sharpness in your reflexes. You're so comfortable in a high adrenaline situation that you're almost more safe. You're better at making decisions. Um, you're better at staying out of the bad situations. Um, you're better at falling. You get pounded with more skill. Uh, obviously, sometimes there's just zero control and, and an injury can happen at any time. But I do, I do feel like there's a certain crazy sharpness that comes with just being able to get that much practice in that heavy waves. But uh, going back to your question of how maintainable is it, or sustainable. I mean, at this pace with that heavier waves, it's a matter of time with injury. You just hope it's not the worst kind of injury. Um, and I think you need to take a few months to slow down every year. I just talked to Twiggy about that and he was like, kind of saying like, just remember like it's important to take a few months at least out of the year to slow down a little bit. <laughs> and I, I thought about that a lot. And, and I've just felt like that's what naturally this last month has been for me just being home and there not being some crazy swells I feel like my adrenal glands and everything is settling and you get a nice little reset yeah so you taking a break is just surfing pipe most days <laughs> yeah that's, that's a break that's like a mellow month on the slab tour um so one more question around the fear side of things was there a moment or a spot that scared you the most this year that you can think about yeah, I think the scariest session I had was, I mean, there was a few moments. It was like that big day at Porto. Um, I paddled out that morning with Ivan and I saw like the way a couple sets explode and the way the water moved off like the back of it exploding on the sand. Like it's a sand bottom, but the, the violence of when the waves are impacting, I was like, oh, you could die. Like, that would kill you if you were in the wrong spot. And that was pretty scary. And I had a really bad wipeout that day. But it wasn't so much the wipeout that scared me. That was just one of the worst wipeouts of the year as far as, like, beatdown goes. Um, but was then there was this the airdrop moment... or the one where you tried to kick out and couldn't? Oh, dude, the airdrop <laughs> was so bad. And then, like, that was actually just pure violence, like, so viciously slammed on the bottom and, and in the vortex of it and pinned down there for so long. But the airdrop was maybe 15 minutes after that. I mean, the the one I tried to kick out and failed was 15 minutes after that airdrop. And so that day was just punishing. Like, that was my way of like, I'm going to go back out and wash it off. And then I got the fucking one where I couldn't make a good decision. It wasn't even a good wave. And I went and just... I would. Ne I never try to kick out like that. Like that was just shows where my head was at. It was just such a novice move to do that, and I just <laughs> went in and just slept from. I like went to sleep that afternoon and slept like fourteen hours till the next morning. Wow. Yeah, just rested off, and then we had like three or four more days of Porto. That that swell run was insane. It's hard to like remember every day of wow. those trips, like. Thinking back on it, we had, like, the day before that big day, 
was 15 foot Porto. And then we had three or four days after it. Cause like the last day Ivan had those two psycho backside ones. I, I'm just shocked that the most scared or the most confronted you were by the ocean this year was at a sand bottom wave. Okay. So no, I was continuing on with that. That was one of them, but okay. the, the, I was going to go on to say that guaranteed the scaredest I was, was in, um, was in Australia at this remote right slab we surfed. I don't want to say the area because it's a, a prickly zone over there. Um, when we respect the locals, but there was this big right surf, the same one where Dylan Longbottom had his injury. That day, man, I, that day was so terrifying at that wave because it was this thing happening where like anyone who fell hit the bottom. And there was no, like, usually in surfing, you have, like, ten falls. Maybe two hit the bottom, and the rest got away. And, and even if the wave looks the gnarliest ever, you're like, fuck, somehow guys aren't really hitting. Like, that wave, guys, you hit if you fell. It was, like, a 100% thing. It was so gnarly. And then Dylan crushes his ribs, and it's just so low tide and so much water moving over the reef, and it just had that same sense I spoke about when I looked at the explosion of Porto and I was just like, you could very, very easily die today if you make one wrong move in the wrong spot and you're so, and if you don't die on the impact, you're so far from legitimate help that you'll die on the way to the hospital. And like, it's one thing when you kind of can, you can just like go, okay, let's go ignore it. We're surfing. It's scary, but whatever. But like some waves, you can't ignore it because you see waves break and you're like, that's a man killer. hundred percent. Like you're dying if you fall there. Wow. And so like that one was one of the scariest sessions I was a part of to the point where like I was like battling mentally like, oh, you don't even need to surf today. We don't even we don't have to surf today. Like we like, you know, you start telling yourself that looking for outs. And then we ended up having a great tow session. The tide came up a little more water on the reef and. It was a little bit more manageable, and we just had like a killer day. And yeah, I wanted to um, ask you about that because years after the end, you bringing that one up is interesting. Because I heard, I mean, was that the one time you towed this year? Because I, I heard that was the same session that I think Aton and Harry were down there filming for Harry's film, and Aton got this fucking crazy wave, and he was saying yeah. that like he was shocked was. that you were towing, just because you're you, basically. Yep. yep. We paddled out in the morning, paddled with those guys for a little bit, got too hectic, everyone went in, and then it was just like, that's how exactly what I was just saying. It was like, okay, didn't paddle any waves. Is it even worth riding today? But Kip actually came out, right? So Dylan got hurt. The session was kind of blowing, like, we all stopped paddling. Those guys had paddled a little earlier in the morning and gone some. And then um, Kip ends up coming back out after Dylan's injury and just toes two insane ways. He fully fully turned the session around, sparked like a revamp, gets two mental ones. At this point, it's like 15-foot unloading on this reef. And I was like, fuck, I'll take the rope let's go this is like i was just like uh i felt like a little kirby brown wannabe <laughs> just like 
we were just had a hell time. We towed into some giant, giant, sketchy barrels. Like one of my favorite clips of the whole year is from that tow session. That was like the one time I grabbed the rope. Sick. Okay. All right. So that's on the fear side of things. I have another question about how you operate with your whole thing, basically, because you're going around the world to a lot of waves that one are really dangerous, but two, they're either kind of like held down by locals or kind of like secretive or whatever. But it seems like you're able to kind of go in there with a filmer and film everything and put stuff out, you know, not even that long after the fact. So how do you sort of navigate that side of the whole surfing heavy waves world? Because a lot of people just don't want their waves out there and especially someone with a platform as big as yourself. Yeah, it, um, you got to definitely step lightly. There's spots that are, people are like, yeah, just don't say where it is. Sorry, I got the hiccups. Spicy burrito. Um, Don't say the location, give landmarks, none of that. And so we're real careful about that. And we always go in with a ton of respect of like, hey, if you guys are totally over it, we won't film it. We won't put it out. We'll just surf. There's been places we've gone that the world has never seen because that's happened. And there's some places where they're like, oh, just hype to see. I don't know. People are people are friendly if you're friendly, you know. I'm not a conf- confrontational guy. I'm not an aggressive guy. I'm totally laid back. I don't paddle to the peak first session in a new spot. I sit on the inside. I watch good vocals get their waves. And if, if someone says, oh, come come out a little closer to the lineup. Like I'll, I'll paddle out, you know, I don't force myself on any session ever. And I feel like going about it that way and just letting them know like, Hey, if if you guys don't want anything used all good. Um, if it's cool to use some footage and not say where it is or use landmarks, cool. And being like that, going in with just that attitude helps so much. And I actually met like a ton of new friends and even some ways where I thought would guys would just tell me to fuck off where they were just like pretty cool about it. And maybe realized through some of the videos I put up, um, that there is a way to do it where you don't blow the spot out. And even times like, fuck, I've with the amount I travel, I could show a plane ticket to somewhere and surf away and it's not even the same country (laughs) and so you know like there's ways to do it where the spot doesn't get blown out but you get to enjoy a session with people well i get the sense too that um you've reached a point now where maybe people are like inviting you to come surf these waves or even that like guys that you know it's it's a really good day at their local spot and they're almost like proud that you showed up there you know what i mean that you could have been anywhere in the world and you showed up at their spot like it it almost gives them it it like validates their spot do you get a sense of that as well uh yeah i do i totally have had that happen and just with the slab tour and trying to hit heavy waves i've gotten tons of super cool people um dm me and be like dude there's this wave over here like no one really surfs it but you could try it if you want at some (laughs) point and stuff like that i've actually met new friends through and it's been so fun that side of what i do is just showing up having a session with someone you've never met before in heavy conditions you're like instantly bonded through that but just having them willing to be like it's like you said maybe it's like oh i want to see how it can be surfed with someone 
uh, who sees a different line or they want to see a different line or a different approach than they've had or how can it be surfed if it's really pushed or is there a different way we should be trying to surf it? And I think things like that go a long way and maybe you leave and the Groms are like, oh, fuck, let's go try to do that. And then now they're getting epic waves at their local spot that they maybe wouldn't have before, things like that. And I do feel like there is times where people are just fired up that you're there and stoked to share a session with you. And that comes from maybe just being pretty laid back and friendly and not my personality to be confrontational with anybody. And also things like maybe showing some of the local groms in the edit and showing some of the locals epic ways. Like a lot of guys make their edits just about them. And it's just all like, obviously having a solo session, I'm the only one in the edit. But if I'm surfing with other people, you'll see them in my channels. And guys get pretty psyched on that. Like they're, maybe they're, them and their buddies are like, holy fuck, there's like, that's, the, that's my wave I caught, you know? Like, and they're stoked to see it on YouTube. And I feel like a lot of guys don't do that. They just go, oh, this is my my show and I'm the only guy out here. And also, to, I'll show sessions where I didn't catch a wave. I just paddled out and never got one and maybe someone else did. Like, I don't care. I'm not trying to hide that. Like, that's the most, the biggest thing I learned with YouTube is like, you can't hide behind presenting a certain skill level like you can with like maybe just certain longer form edits or things that take longer you know like if you're putting videos out every week you show your level you should you have to prove your level and you have to continuously show that and so it keeps you consistent and it keeps you honest and i don't know okay so guys get fired up on that and they want the slab door to come to town. <laughs> so with that, um, you've just won Stab Surfer of the Year. You're the sixth winner. This is the sixth year that we've done this. You're the first one who is not a world tour surfer or a world champion. So how does it uh-huh. feel to take out Sick. the world champions of the world, the, the film stars of the world, and your brother? <laughs> uh, it feels really good. <laughs> I love it. Um but, like, more importantly, like, I think about it in this terms, like, obviously, those guys winning world titles are are the best surfers in the world and on a consistent basis. But I feel like this year there was a huge change in, like, what can, what can be considered the surfer of the, of the year uh, based off difference in performance as far as, like, the tour versus something like I did, right? It's like, I feel like the tour was pretty boring this year and a lot of people felt like that as well. And it was just, maybe it was like, I don't know, lack of rivalries or lack of scoring on certain events or just, there just seemed to be a lack of something. Not like the top guys surfing, they're always like, everyone always tunes in for their heats. And I, and I was there for like, a lot of the free surf sessions, I watch these guys surf and you just see the level is, I feel like in heats, it's one thing, but, and I'm sure people would relate to this. If you've ever seen them in a free surf session, you really see that world title surfing come out. Like you're like, this dude is just fucking that good. Like they're making this seem 
like a totally different way of drawing different lines and all that. But I felt like this year, the slab throw was just exciting for people and maybe fresh and new and constant um, new exposure to a different side of surfing that hadn't quite gotten the exposure it deserved before. Maybe that's it, you know? Like, Well, one of our commenters left a really good note um, when, yeah, at the end of this whole thing of Stab Surfer of the Year, to your point, basically said, Surfer of the Year, male, big fucking barrels. Edit of the Year, big fucking barrels. Best YouTube, big fucking barrels. Film of the Year, big fucking barrels. WSL, let's give people trestles again, as that is what they want to see. And I think that kind of sums up the sentiment pretty well. Dude, that sums it up totally well. I read that comment too. I loved it. I was like, <laughs> yes. And I think like, dude, like the big wave stuff deserves a deserves a top spot of recognition if people are out there pushing the limits of what humans can do in the ocean. And not a Nazareth. Does that not deserve certain awards and not a Nazareth? <laughs> does that not like like there's been years like when Matahi paddled that massive one at Chopes and that clip, like it went huge for him on his Instagram, but that was it. And I'm like, dude, like what? How is that just that for that, for the, the amount of courage and skill and talent it took in years, took him to catch a wave like that at Chopes. And then for Emio to do it this year. And then Russ Bjork, his um, performance at that wave. But also, like, I always go back to it. That wave he piled at Shipsterns years ago. I just felt like that could have been ride of the year that year. But it wasn't. And I'm like, why are these fucking waves that 99.9% .9 of humans technically do not have the ability to ride or would never ride? And this guy went out there and did it like any one of those guys did Ross or Matahi or Emio or like Pete Mel, he run right of the year and stuff, but that way that Mavs and stuff, I'm like, if 99.9% .9 of surfers like can't do it, but that guy went and did it. Like, should it not be the biggest thing in surf for that year? Well, that's a big reason of why we started this property, right? Is to celebrate the things that happen outside of, that little WSL bubble and like technically it's not really part of this equation but like this um most spectacular waves of the year right like we make that little edit and it's more fun than anything but when you get into those top three like those are the three most fucked up waves that were ridden this year which you also happened to win so congratulations for that you won mail server of the <laughs> year <laughs> spectacular wave of the year for that wave in Ireland and YouTube channel of the year um, and also <laughs> a big one on that is like, you got all these, um, you know, votes from the best surfers and, you know, most influential people in the surf world. But the people who pushed you over the edge were actually our stab premium members. Cause you were going into the last day, a little bit behind Felipe for the, uh, men's win and a little bit behind Mason on the yeah. YouTube side. So yeah, I think it goes to show like, it's, it's so cool that you're getting the respect from sort of your peers. And then also just the audience, you seem to be the favorite on that side as well. So congratulations, Nate. And just out of curiosity, um, is there like a comment or somebody that voted for you? Like one of the, you know, how they have the little comments that they add to it. Was there one that stood out to you as your favorite? I like Twiggy's comment the most, maybe. I haven't read through them all, but 
I just like this comment, like, saying I'm talking about big wave surfing, and, and I like the way he thinks, like, because he's just so, he's so passionate about big wave surfing and pushing the sport to be bigger than it, what it is, like, not a subcategory of surf, but a main category of surf. Um, and not just big wave surfing, but performance big wave surfing, right? It's changed so much that we're now surfing big waves like we do smaller slabs um, as far as like knifing it under the lip on 20 footers and doing things like that. And that should be celebrated and promoted. And guys doing that should be able to make a living doing it. Um, and so I love that Twig backs that. And I just liked his comment talking about like he almost made a, a difference in like a he differentiated there's big wave surfing and then there's like this other side of big wave surfing that's performance based. And I love that because I do think there is two sides of big wave surfing and one is far less performance based and one is far more. And to me, that's the difference between like towing straight towing and going straight and guys that can can barely like really make the bottom turn and then guys that are like tuning fine tuning their gear to do full rotations on the face of big jaws toe days or like guys that are paddling the heaviest slabs in the world you need so much practice and intense focus to do that that it, the there needs to be a huge differentiation of performance big wave surfing and just regular how tall is the wave surfing agreed and i think yeah you, you've kind of shown that this year and that that people want to see it as well because you know the masses mm -hmm. people who aren't really surfers like yeah they'll maybe ooh and ah at a photo of nazare or a video of somebody surfing an 83.64 foot wave but when you look at you know your views on youtube when you look at the votes in this thing like you're clearly striking a nerve with the core of surfing so that's really special. And you're the one putting your life on the line, but you also couldn't pull this off without um, a bit of a team behind you. So can you tell us a little bit about Zord? <laughs> yes. Zord is super classic. So Zord, I met him. He was shooting water at Pipe one year. This is like I, when I was thinking about starting a YouTube channel. He sent me a water clip, and he was a lifeguarding at the time here on North Shore. He'd come from... Hungary when he was really young, grew up in Florida, and then flown over to Hawaii, slept uh, on the lifeguard tower and took his lifeguard test the next day. Literally, that's what he did. He flew over on a night flight, slept on the lifeguard tower. Cop woke him up, told him he can't sleep here. He said, hey, I'm taking my lifeguard test. Cop said, okay, he passed his test, became a lifeguard on North Shore. <laughs> and then it's a pretty sick story. Fast forward a bit. And he's shooting water at pipe, and we linked up on a clip. I, he was walking to the beach. I said, hey, yo, what's your name? He's like, I'm Zord. I was like, sick, I'm Nathan. Do you want to start a YouTube together? And he's all, yeah. Wait, how did you pick him sick. just after, like, linking up on a water shot? Yeah, I just, I he seemed like a young guy, and I was like, like similar to my age, you know, a lot of the older photographers, like they're not going to be psyched to start a surf vlog. Um, and so I just was like, dude, would you be interested in something like this? Like, let's run a trial month. And he was like, hell yeah. I didn't know him at all. And he didn't know me at all. We hung out for that month and we just became like super close friends. Like 
tons of mutual interest. We're both just degenerates in the stock market and crypto markets. And um, we were just having the funnest time together filming. And it's good because you need someone that you can become a friend with, you know, when you're around them that much. It's one thing to like have someone filming, but with, with, when you're spending like 80% of the year with someone, you need to be able to like be close enough with them where you're having blowouts and getting over it 10 minutes later and back to the job and hanging out and spend time, you know? And so it just worked. I got really lucky and I'm so stoked and so appreciative of the work he puts in and he works hard and he's just down to go far away places, get on the plane the last second, suffer through the jet lag, missing baggage, missing clothes, doing the whole thing and uh, post up in the sun for eight hours and film an early session or in the freezing cold. And so I'm fortunate to have Zord and he's a good dude and he kills it. And I feel like people like it's so much work to go around the world and do all this. And then a lot of times people are like staying up all night editing to get things out soon after as well. Like, is it, it maybe just explain like the actual workload and like how that works when you're on a trip. Yeah, so with that, I, I probably do around 80% of the editing on my own. Wow. And so, yeah, Jordal, he wasn't editing originally, but he takes too long on edits. And so <laughs> I had to take over because <laughs> like, I want him out quick. Are you using and, Premiere? Um, yeah, I use Premiere Pro. And once I learned how to use it, I had him teach me over like three weeks of just like throwing videos together. Um, I realized it was far simpler than it was made out to be. And I could make edits in like two hours. And so <laughs> Zord was not happy about me figuring that out because he, he was taking days to make edits sometimes. And I'm like, I just did this in two hours. <laughs> and now I have both of us working simultaneous edits and like, Literally, uh, we had months go by where we were doing two episodes a week because we were surfing so much that if you're not getting it out, you'll lose like you'll just lose track of that footage and where it went. And so we were doing like Monday, Friday uploads. I was editing one. He was editing one. He was shooting on land. I was shooting with a GoPro and we were just a fucking power team. And the same goes with Mahina. Like when I had I took Mahina to Europe two years in a row, left Zor behind give him give him vacation let him go see his family and do what he wants he loves skydiving and i wanted to spend time with my wife because i've been traveling so much and no better place to do it than europe and so we went on the road and all i brought was the handicam and the drone and my gopro and mahina killed it killed it so good kept me in the frame the whole session like one of the most diehard filmers i've ever had She's so funny looking in and she's looking through the eyepiece on the handicap for literally three hours. <laughs> like, you are a champion. Like, holy shit. And so um, it became, that was really fun because she, she it got to ha have her be a part of those sessions in a way she never was before, right? It's one thing to watch it or hear about it um, or see the video after, but all of a sudden, like, you have your wife, sometimes only her on the cliff when I'm out surfing some solo slab and I get like a wave that it isn't the wave of my life, but it feels like it because of the the dramatics of the situation. And I'm like claiming coming out and she's the only one on the beach and she's claiming and she's nailed it on the handicap and I come in and like 
it's just like you get to share that moment with your wife and she's like that was fucking crazy i nailed the clip <laughs> i'm like let's go watch them insane like let's go get a coffee have a date night and so it just brought a whole new level of enjoyment for i feel like us enjoying surfing and surf travel together and she felt she got she felt like she was like a huge part of a lot of the videos that came out in those trips from europe um where she definitely was she was literally droning and using a red camera this year and using the handy cam and helping put edits together directing shots and great at coloring and just so so supportive that it was just it's awesome to have a team like that because you have someone that's not all in and things just don't work that well and so we got to share her dreams of traveling europe and my dreams of surf traveling europe this lab <laughs> tour disguised as the uh wife tour through europe and we got to do a good equal measure of both like this year we went to iceland and we didn't really score on waves there but we were both just like tripping and we, we both love creating content just naturally so we're like doing these crazy hikes and she was getting really good and tuned in with the red cam and like that stuff is just so fun for us going on new experiences and new adventures and being able to like look back at the footage and see how much fun we had. Amazing. So you grew up with like probably the biggest superstar surfer brother that anybody could really imagine. Um, how did that sort of shape the way that you approached pro surfing? Because now you've reached a point where you've probably eclipsed him in a lot of people's minds in terms of like fame and forward facingness in the surfing world. And obviously you just want to stab surfer of the year over him. <laughs> uh, I think like John, it's always been, John is literally, Oh, I was talking about Ivan. Like, Oh yeah. Well, that's what I, I was going to say. <laughs> the style, Mr. Cool himself didn't let me get on the Mr. Cool. But even for both, let's, it's great because even for both of us, me and Ivan, like John was always just seemed like, dude, he was so much more dedicated um, in time in the water and practice from such a young age that it was like, it never felt like um, this massive shadow cast over us. It more felt like a benefit having him as a brother just because of the sheer knowledge and the sheer talent you got to be around all of the time could do nothing but help your own surfing. I'm sure someone might go the other way with that or could, or become envious or jealous or competitive in the wrong way. I never did. I never felt that way. Ivan never felt that way. It, what it made happen is that each of us forge our own kind of paths. Like Ivan is the way he is so laid back, so much style so into skating and so into snowboarding um, because he could make that his own right and that was the same for me with big wave surfing this was something that I was more passionate about and I could make my own and I felt I had a better talent towards and so I went all in with it and John was just the best surfer in the world and could only lend his advice or how he thought certain things like it, it was like a a well of wisdom and advice in a surf career, having him be what he was for us, if that makes sense. Amazing. All right. So you've basically taken over the world in 2023. 
what can we expect in 2024? Any new zones that you might check out or anything that we have to look forward to? There's a few things I want to do. But I don't know. I don't want to say them because I don't want people to go try and do them before me. <laughs> not, not that there might be a lot of people trying, but there's a few. There's a few that would definitely, you know, I gotta, I gotta stay on top of my slab tour game. But yeah, I, this year, watch out I want to be a little more. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I want to be a little more selective, and um, I want to paddle some waves that maybe have never been paddled or. Uh, never been paddled in a certain way so that's kind of this year my goal is still, still slab tour but there's a few select locations that i want to surf and give a try that maybe have never been attempted to paddle before and then um i i don't want any more like i i will repeat locations but i really want to do new locations i really want to go to brazil this year and check their slabs out and a few other countries that I have yet to have been able to get to. Um, and I'm willing to like miss swells in locations I've gone before to go to these new spots. Uh, Cause that's like some of the best times I've had is just surfing new waves and meeting new people and being in new countries. Like the, the hype you get, it doesn't even need to be as good as the last wave you surfed. It could be half the last wave you surfed, but if it's new, it feels like 10 times better. And so this year, that's what I'm aiming for. Just new all around, maybe new waves that have never been paddled um, and new locations that for me, they're not new for other people, obviously, pretty much everywhere has been surfed, but new places for me, for sure, in 2024. Amazing. All right. Well, we'll be watching. Uh, but for now, enjoy the victories, multiple you got. So um, all yeah, right. congrats on an epic 2023. Thanks, Michael. And thank you guys for having the the platform and pulling 45 surfers together i'm sure that's not easy to get the vote <laughs> as you already saw with me i was maybe the worst out of the the worst to get the votes in but yeah it's cool that you guys are able to get that many surfers together to come and make a vote on something and have it not that it just turned out in my favor but also that it's even there as a platform for your peers to vote on you and the whole thing so you guys did a great job and thanks for having me part of it.